Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So each week, we like to take a listener's question. And this week, a listener went to our website, techgumbo.net, went over to the question of the week tab, and they've asked, how does tap to pay on my credit card or in my smartphone, how does that work? That's a great question. And this is a really cool piece of hardware and technology that has come about recently. And you're starting to see it everywhere. It's very convenient. It's very secure. And so we thought we'd take a minute to sit here and dive through it. So the first thing, let's talk about the credit card. Believe it or not, your credit card with the little metal tab on the top of it is more than just a little piece of metal. It actually has a microprocessor inside of it. It is a crypto processor to be precise. And that crypto processor actually, when you pass your card over that reader, that reader is generating a source of near field communication energy, activates the, the processor on that card, and then the card says that my the crypto processor says, here's my information. The reader grabs that and then it does its processing, communicates back with the bank and, and your credit card company. And that's how the transaction works. So to think about this a bit more abstractly, the reason why the processor on your computer works is you run the power across it and the power comes from the power cable. Well, you're running power across that chip on your credit card as well, but the power is coming from the magnetic field. So much like how you have wireless charging for your phone, it's the same idea, that whenever you have a magnetic field that is strong enough, in this case, it's, it's really not very strong. That's the amazing part about all of this is it's actually very energy efficient, but you run enough power you know, through the air and that magnetic field runs across this processor, the changing magnetic field generates an electric current, and now all of a sudden you have an electric current flowing across a processor and so it, it's a computer now, and it functions like a computer. It can sit there and talk back and forth with the payment reader, and 
you can have a lot of security baked into this. In fact, they even call it a crypto processor because it is so much more secure. There are layers of security. It's not a, an easily spoofable piece of technology. That near field communication, it's it's about an inch and so an inch and a half, five centimeters in that range. That's that's as far as that range goes when you when you're passing your credit card over that field. So it's it's very safe. So somebody, if you have your credit card in your back pocket, somebody can't walk by and, and swipe your card and, and get your information that way. You have to physically have it hovering it just above. It says tap to pay, but you don't actually have to tap. You just have to get really, really close. Yeah. And I think the fact that it's only valid from such a short range is just another one of the security features about it. It's not like a Bluetooth sniffer. Bluetooth, you can find easily 100 feet away. And so, you know, that's walking through a crowded mall that's sitting in a coffee shop. Whereas if you're standing in line to buy coffee, you can't even activate it. It's not until it's basically your device touching that other reader. That's how close it has to be. And again, because of the complexity of the chip involved, there's a lot of intense communication happening back and forth. It has to talk back to the bank. There's This is a, a really cool advanced piece of technology going on right here. If you have a phone, well, that works just a little bit different, but not too very different. Right. Again, the the standardization of this technology is one of the another amazing parts about it. The fact that all of the different people who work with this technology have agreed to use the exact same protocols, all the same interfaces, the same APIs. They're all talking to each other in the same way. And so the fact that we can wrangle all of these different parties to use this one technology and have it seamlessly interact together is just another cool thing happening here. But once it's inside the phone, Apple even has it set up to wherever, even if your phone dies, it'll still work. That's actually a magic trick that they're doing, though. So the way that it works on your phone is that your phone generates the field for the chip. And so your phone is sending out the signal. And you would say, oh, well, when my phone is dead, how does it send out the signal? What Apple's actually doing is they're keeping just a little bit of juice in reserve that will power it. And so your phone is not truly dead. It's not enough to wake up everything else, but there's just a little bit there designed just for tap to pay which I think is pretty smart that if Apple wants you to be able to leave your wallet at home and so your phone is your single point of failure device, but they're baking in a little bit of redundancy here so that if you're, if you haven't charged your phone in a couple of days and it is, it shows 0%, there should still be enough juice baked in like in that little sliver left to still run your credit card. So thank you to the listener for, that question, that was a fantastic question that both of us were scratching our head when we saw it and had to go do the research to figure out the crypto processor inside a card. That was a really, uh, we learned something on that one. So I hope you've learned something as well. We will be sending out that big, beautiful tech gumbo mug. Thank you for that question. If you would like a, a mug, please come to our website, send us a question, and we'll send you a tech gumbo mug. Moving into the big story that we wanted to talk about, the first one is streaming. The fact that sports streaming in particular is still very volatile, and there are talks now about 
ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers all merging their sports broadcasting into one singular platform. This is earth-shattering in a whole lot of ways. Number one, the NFL, the MLB, and the NBA, and the NHL had no idea these conversations were happening. So for the three big players of ESPN, Fox Sports, and Warner not to be including the the majors involved into these conversations just really tells you who's in charge of things now. When these streaming services control all of the money, then the NFL is just going to go along with whatever, and the NBA and MLB and NHL, it's a power play that should have everybody really on your haunches and taking notice. It's in one way, you could see why the sporting leagues all just want to learn more. Because what they're going to likely hear is that, ah, oh, yes, we can put your product in front of more eyeballs and we can have more people paying to see your product, which is all of the money is in the TV contracts. That is how all of the leagues pull in the vast majority of their revenue is TV contracts, or it's not TV contracts anymore, but broadcast contracts. And so if this triumvirate can show that we will make you more money, all those leagues will absolutely jump at the process. But the problem is, for us as consumers, you're going to start to see centralization. And so right now, if you have the different companies competing against each other, well, if they say competing against each other is expensive, what if we all just joined forces and created one package and that this is where all the sports are, and then they can charge whatever they want for it. If you want to see anything from the NFL or the NBA or MLB or NHL, all of it is in one spot. Pay us however much we tell you, or you just don't get to see it. Well, people are going to pay you that amount of money. What's interesting is that NBC, CBS, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, all of which currently have broadcast rights for these major sports leagues were not involved in these conversations. And they, too, were caught off guard by these conversations. So now everybody's got to go ramp up their streaming service to make sure that they can all compete with the streaming service because we're all wanting to go spend more money on streaming services. Even if you still have cable TV, some of us still do, you're going to have to go get streaming services as well. And what if you get the wrong one? I think that's definitely a fear is, oh, what if I've had Hulu for a couple of years and I like Hulu, but Hulu's not part of that deal? Oh, well, I have to go switch. And I think it also begins to look like the NFL knew what it was doing whenever it granted exclusive broadcast rights for that playoff game to Peacock. Because now the NFL can say, oh, look, some of our games will be here, some will be there. And the NFL gets to pit ESPN against NBC and say, oh, both of you want to show our playoff games. You now have to compete for that right. And the NFL gets to charge more money for that because they already have the process in place to show that it's it's worth the eyeballs. More people watched the Super Bowl a couple of days ago than any other event in American history. And so that's what this is about, is that more people are watching these things. Can we put more eyeballs onto our platform because none of them are yet profitable. 
they all are still trying to find profit and that's where they're forcing themselves to recombine in this way is hopefully one day for them they will be able to be net positive yeah this is going to be interesting to watch it's you know if you've got the nfl touchdown broadcast or whatever they call it where you could you know that's fine but if you only want to watch your your favorite team i don't need to know what the teams on the other side of the country are doing if i don't care about the buffalo and new england game because i live in louisiana but hey with all these streaming services i could watch any game of my choice not just the new orleans saints well maybe there's some benefit there yeah i think that this could be potentially sold as a positive that if you watch the mlb you know it's it's hard to watch teams that aren't near market in the mlb and it's it's hard to watch teams that aren't near market for the NBA. And so if you can all of a sudden place this in front of all the eyeballs, and so it's someone who's already a sports fan, and you say, oh, you know, you're, the football season just ended. Here, look, though, you still get to watch the NBA. You still get to watch college basketball. You still get to watch other sports. And you make it easy. You make it accessible. It, it is all in one place. That's very convenient. Maybe that is worth it. It'll definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. Moving along, I wanted to talk about Microsoft's Copilot and Google's Gemini. So Copilot is Microsoft's AI assistant. And as we were talking before the show, everyone right now thinks of ChatGPT. Whenever you think about whatever this thing is, it is ChatGPT. You call it ChatGPT, it is like a Band-Aid and that the name of the brand has become synonymous with the thing itself. And that is what Microsoft is about to start dumping a whole lot of money into not having that be the case because they are pushing Copilot everywhere they can. It is going to be at a website, copilot.microsoft.com. In the sidebar and window, they're putting it in apps. I think there was an ad in the Super Bowl for the app on your phone and so microsoft is really revving up to have copilot become part of everything if you have a windows 11 computer you already have copilot down on your toolbar it's there you can start using it and it's no charge but there's different flavors of copilot there is windows copilot which will be that icon down on the tool tray that when you start asking it questions It'll go out to the open internet and it'll bring back whatever answer you're looking for. But there is also Copilot for Enterprise, which is just about your Microsoft tenant. So if techgumbo.net is your tenant, then it'll only know and learn about what's going on, what you've got saved in your OneDrive, what's on your SharePoint folders, and what's in your inbox, and whose emails are, are sending, what happens in your Teams meetings. That's what Copilot Enterprise is going to do. It doesn't know the outside world exists. So if you're trying to do a sales report based upon the past six months of sales and, and what you're speculating the next six months are going to look like, it can create those reports for you. But if you ask it to put a picture of a lion and a tiger and a bear in it, it doesn't know what a lion and a tiger and a bear is unless you have those pictures in your OneDrive stored already. Yeah, and I think that really highlights what the different branches are. And I think also it's important to understand that 
a lot of this stuff is still shaking out that this whole idea of having generative AI is still so new. It's only slightly over a year old that this has been part of our lives and much less than that, that it is companies have understood how they want to implement it as a business model. And so it'll take two years, three years, four years of consumers actually getting their hands on it, actually having it become part of their day-to-day interaction. And then them saying, oh, well, it does this. I'd rather do that. Or actually, this thing that's currently doing works really well for me. Make it do that better. And so I think we'll, we'll see a lot of change, a lot of iteration. And I think that's also part of why Google dropped the BARD moniker. So BARD was the name of their LLM, but they have rebranded it as Gemini. Gemini is the their entire product. It is very much parallel to the Microsoft Copilot. That's right. Gemini is going to be on your phones and in, in basically anything and everything coming with from Google that uses the generative AI. The Meta or Facebook, if you will, they have theirs. Amazon Web has theirs. I mean, everybody's got LLMs now, all doing this generative AI. And, and so you're going to see more and more of these pop up everywhere they can. The two biggest companies of Microsoft and Google, are, that's the software you use day to day. And you don't use Amazon every day unless you're going to buy something. You don't use Facebook every day unless you're going to their website. You're going to use Google most every day if you're a, if you're a G Suite person. If you use Gmail, if you, you know, if you use Microsoft, you're going to use Copilot every day. And going forward, we and we encourage you to do so. These things are fun to use. You need to learn to use them. These are tools. If you don't learn to use these tools, these tools will learn to use you. I think that is the best thing you can do. Go out, test them out, try them out, pick them up, figure out how they work and and sit there. They're very user friendly. I think that's the huge thing here is that a lot of things in tech can be scary and difficult and require a lot of knowledge and have a high barrier to entry for ChatGPT. You just you make an account and you start talking to it and you can say, hi, ChatGPT, what can I do? And you have a conversation, a natural English conversation back and forth with it. If you say, oh, ChatGPT, what can I make for dinner tonight with these ingredients? It'll give you a recipe and it'll tell you how to make it in plain language. And so that is one of the huge powers of these tools is that how accessible they are. And you mentioned scary. One of the things that is scary is Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the folks who actually created ChatGPT, he wants to revolutionize the way chips are made. So he's out seeking to raise $7 trillion. Yes, that not billion. Billion is the amount of money they currently operate in. He's looking for 1,000 times that. That is... But on the fair end, it might only be $5 trillion. But to put that in perspective, that is larger than the third largest economy in the world. Japan's entire GDP is only $4.5 trillion. And so he says we need more money than that in order to truly get chips up and running to where they need to be for artificial intelligence. 
That's right. They're trying to create all new plants to create a whole brand new line of microprocessors that will run computers that will just help make artificial intelligence, the generative AI, using these LLMs to make them so much faster and so much better. Good luck raising $7 trillion. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.